HP Podcast. If you're enjoying the content, please remember to drop a sub, drop a like, and leave your thoughts down below in the comments. With that, we will see you guys in the podcast. Manny, welcome to the World XP Podcast. Uh, this is a bit of an out-of-cycle one for those listening. Um, obviously, they normally come out Mondays, but Manny has a fight on Saturday, so we got to get his uh, promo out for the fight a little bit. And um, thank you to Alex at Tribal Beast Fitness. Got the uh, the World XP Soccer and Tribal Beast Fitness stuff, of course. Um, big help to myself and then you as well. I'm sure I've seen you in all the all his posters and, and mm-hmm. everything else. But it's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a blast to be here. Awesome. So um, for those listening, Manny, obviously, he's got his fight on Saturday. He's currently 4-0. He's classed as an amateur MMA fighter, um, ranked third via topology. Um, but if you want to go into a little bit of that, like kind of, right, I don't want to make the introduction for you because then I'll say mm-hmm. something stupid. And then we can <laughs> go into sort of like uh, how you ended up in this world, and then we can go from there. All right. Awesome. Yeah, so when it comes to martial arts, I mainly started when I was young. I wasn't necessarily good at any other sports. So with that being said, people used to make fun of me for not being good at those sports, and I would want to fight them for, like, not, you know, being good. Um, other than that, I was just so, like, captivated when it came to martial arts from the Kung Fu movies and anime and even stuff like Power Rangers that my mom saw that I had a natural interest towards unarmed combat. So from there, she signed me up to start with Taekwondo, and I actually went to quit at first because I couldn't, like, go Super Saiyan and all that other wild stuff. But, you know, she made me stick with it. And my natural inclination for it just proceeded to just evolve. And now I'm here. <laughs> Very nice. And so what made you want to start um, competing? Because obviously there's a lot of kids that do Taekwondo and things like that when they're little. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you've made the leap into competition. Mm-hmm. And the main reason why that happened is because I really wanted to test my art. There was so many times when I'd be in the dojo and I would think, but will this really work in like a street fight scenario? I learned that it does work in a street fight scenario, but on the same level, I wanted to be able to see if it could work against other martial artists. So I start with Muay Thai, but then I'm thinking to myself, like, well, if this person knows how to grapple, do I still know how to fight? Then from there, I learned jujitsu. But then I thought to myself again, do I really still know how to fight? And I feel like the best way for me to really test my art is through mixed martial arts. And then it also provided me a level of originality and creating my own style. And it's been the funnest form of art that I've been able to pretty much express. So Very nice. So I think for those listening, myself included, a lot of our only exposure to MMA has been through basically either either Joe Rogan or UFC or some combination of, of the both. Um, but obviously, so your class is an amateur fighter, but those guys that are doing the, the like the UFC, the Khabibs, the Conor McGregor's of the world, obviously those are professional fighters. So um, a lot of my audience will either know me from like, know the soccer world. And that's obviously not the same as the fighting world. So can you kind of go through the, the amateur sort of verse pro, how it works? What does it take to get to like the professional level, like how the, basically the whole scene works. And then if you want to add in, topology as well Mm. Uh, and into into that that would be fantastic okay awesome so there's multiple experiences that people have when it gets to becoming a pro in mixed martial arts even competing in martial arts in general the main way that it starts is at the dojo so at the dojo you really gotta in a way excel to the point where your senseis or coaches know you know how to defend yourself in a fighting situation because they don't want to see you really get hurt 
They want to see you go out there and excel, but if you're not ready for that type of competition, they're not going to put your, put you in it. If they truly care about you. I've seen people go out there independent and <laughs> I've seen some wild stuff happen. But following those in-dojo bouts between like dojo and dojo, then from there it starts to expand and you start to go to venues. And then at the venues, if you excel, you start to get a following and then the opponents get more and more difficult to the point where I'm at now where it's really, really hard for, to find a fight on the amateur scene. And then from there is usually when the pro transition happens. However, for different people, different strokes for different folks, um, they could also, you know, in the middle of that like process, be like, you know what? I don't want to go for a championship. I don't care about being high ranked in topology. I'll, I just want to go pro now because I want to get money off of this. And, and that formula works for a lot of people. However, the method that I wanted was to show that I am best in this region and then from there move on. And I am right there in regards to doing that to the point where the person who I'm going to be fighting is coming in from North Carolina. I'm not even fighting anybody from Virginia anymore because mm. of how my skill set has set me apart at this weight class. So I feel like I'm really doing everything right. And now it's time to go get that belt and take what's mine and execute. Yeah. hundred percent. So what? so as you prep for a fight, so for example, this one, I think um, Alex sent me the whole like fight card and the other thing. Is it for, mm. is it for a, a belt or is it for, Featherweight title is what the thing says. So when you prep for a fight, whether like, what is that? What does that entail? People mm-hmm. hear oftentimes like fighters go through these camps, and then mm-hmm. sometimes I think um, when Conor McGregor broke his leg at the, I don't know, it was like four, three or four years ago, whenever it was, mm-hmm. people said he picked up the the injury like in like during camp. Mm-hmm. So like, what does a camp entail for you? Mm-hmm. So. When it comes to me personally, I'm a very methodical person. So I sit down with the people in my inner circle in regards to martial arts, and we really break everything down to the point where it's like, okay, what is my opponent good at? And then figuring out what that person is good at. Then from there, we adjust the training, see what will work, what won't work. And then on top of that, now I got to make sure that my body gets inclined to use these new techniques properly. So with that being said, I have to also change up my workout plan and my workout regimen because I'm going to have to cut weight on top of that. And then you still need the training partners that can replicate that person or put you in a situation that's kind of unwinnable. And the reason why I say that is because you want to be able to be able to perform in every situation. You don't want to be helpless in a situation you have to cover up or something like that. And so you need those partners who are able to push you. And that's how, like, injuries, unfortunately, like what happened with McGregor happened. He was being mm-hmm. pushed um, by his uh, sparring partners and stuff like that happened. That's why injuries in camp usually happen. It's because of being pushed in multiple directions, whether it's striking, grappling, strengthening, conditioning, or sparring. But you're really yeah. brought to the breaking point. Um, and then on top of that, a lot of people do that, and they're at a calorie deficit on top of that. Right. Um, because of trying so, to cut weight. Body's um, not recovering as much as it should. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, once all that's done and you make it through that, it's like a transformation Tuesday, you know? Mm-hmm. You have that final week where you take things light and you start to recover and then you realize, like, whoa, like, everything is better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's making it to the end of camp. That gets hard. Uh, yeah, depending on the fighter and things like that, and if you recover properly, stuff like that. So you're so this last week for you then has been pretty pretty light, but obviously you want to stay sharp and everything. So mm-hmm. what kind of um, 
Actually, I have two questions on the camp stuff. One, mm-hmm. MMA specifically, right? You hear about boxing camps and like Floyd has mm-hmm. his dad coaching and like Pacquiao's mm-hmm. got Freddie Roach and like all these people have these like legendary coaches. But for MMA, you've got a lot of different disciplines that you are mastering and or practicing. Mm-hmm. So do you have different coaches for each one or like how does that how does that work? And then what sorts of training have you been like the last week? Like what is it like for you specifically? Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the ultimate, like, techniques of what I learned and things like that, um, yeah, I break it down by coach. Like, I have, like, you know, my head MMA coach out to me, shit, Ironhide MMA. But when it comes to, like, the striking, the striking's handled at Capital. Um, and that's where, you know, I work those techniques. And also I have my sparring partners who are specialists in that realm um, over at Capital MMA in Sterling. Then at Ironhide, we have a Sambo coach. We have a, a Greco-Roman wrestling uh, coach. We have a uh, no-gi uh, coach. Like, we have so many grappling coaches. So that's where I mainly do my grappling. That's also where I mix in my striking as well. And the beautiful thing about that, too, is, like, you know, certain gyms don't get clicky, you know, and you go mm-hmm. and train, train with them. But, like, with the system I have now, my coaches respect each other. Like, my striking coach respects, uh, like, where I get my grappling done at. And my grappling coach, you know, he respects the striking that I do because they see yeah. Movement and they see me mixing it together, and that shows the beauty of you know working with so many coaches who care about you because they want to see you evolve instead of more of painting like you know some agenda or anything along those lines. And yeah, I'm truly blessed about that, you know. Yeah, well, you got to have it that way, for, especially when it's like when it's a situation like that. Everybody's got to be on the same like the same page for everything. The the plan of how you're gonna approach the fight and what the other fighters strengths and weaknesses are and like everybody's mm-hmm. got to be on the same page or it doesn't work so mm-hmm. sounds like you've got a good crew i'd say mm-hmm. um so leading up to the week leading up to the fight what is that mm-hmm. like for you so the week leading up to the fight i mainly focus on just training my mind you know making sure that my mind stays sharp uh you know the the hard part is done in my opinion when it comes to the training because we train mm-hmm. for every instance but then you know when you're in a scenario like you know makes martial arts where they go so many ways someone with an articulate mind is going to be thinking of all the intricate situations that can occur so what we do is you know we just make sure that we're firing off on all cylinders and on top of that just making sure that you know there's no outside distractions just staying focused and dialing in um i usually stay on point with my weight so mm. like my weight is not usually a problem shout out to mma doc he helps me out when it comes to my weight cuts to where they're really, really, really easy um, on top of my strength and conditioning. And, yeah, so it's just mainly just dialing in, recovering, and just understanding scenarios that can happen. And also, it's the time my body is the most fresh. I train so much outside of camp, so mm-hmm. much outside of camp, that having, like, three days of rest is phenomenal. I never get that because I've been always working towards this goal ever since I started to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, before this and my last fight, um, I had a two-year hiatus because of the pandemic. Like, the pandemic hit. Then after that, I was supposed to actually fight for the title before, but something happened to where I couldn't take that shot, right? And then from there, that's when I switched, started going to Ironhide and uh, started going to Capital again. And then I, I finally got the fight because the person who had the belt vacated the belt after he won the belt. But, yeah, whatever. So <laughs> then from there, I literally had to fight him for no belt. And then after that, for like a number one contender, then after that, they had to find somebody to now fight me, the number one contender for the belt. So technically I'm already the champion because I fought for a number one contender for a vacant belt 
Mm. And then following that, now he's coming up here to fight me for the belt. So technically, I'm already the champion. And that's the way that you have to think in something like this. You have yeah. to be there and really, truly believe in your capabilities before you go out there because you need to execute when you're out there. You can't be thinking about anything else. You know, like I've seen fighters go out there, they're they're yelling and cheering and looking at the crowd. I'm like, yo, you're locked in a cage with another grown man right across from you or a grown woman, you know, right across from you. You have to focus on a level that a lot of people cannot obtain unless it's a life or death situation. And that's how I approach these things and with the utmost confidence, but still remain humble and respect my opponents as well. Yeah, 100%. You have to. You have to. I feel like that's... um. A lot of like people who make it to the very highest levels all have that like same drive of just being able to cut everything else out and like only focus on like what's in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned the belts and the vacant belt. How does that work for? Because I think um, I'm speaking for myself, but also I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of other people like you just hear all the time, oh, so and so is fighting for this belt, and like mm-hmm. like if you if you're not really paying attention to like to the scene you really have no concept of what that actually means. Cause it seems like every fight is for some belt of something of like mm-hmm. some, this title or that title. And obviously mm-hmm. there's different weight classes, but like, how mm-hmm. does that work within the MMA world? So in the MMA world, it gets complicated, but it's a method in which usually the venues usually see like can bring in the most revenue and they'll have those people fight. Now, is that the right way to do things? No, but at the same time, this time is different because I was supposed to fight for that belt a year ago. And, like, God bless him, the person who won the belt, I used to train with him and spar him all the time. And then all of a sudden he wins the belt. I'm like, oh, this is money. Like, I already know I can beat him because I already sparred him all the time. I'm like, hey, bro, we got to fight because now we have a conflict of interest. You're my boy, but it's a conflict of interest. All of a sudden he's not defending, not defending, not defending, like, for a year, not defending, vacates the belt. You know what I mean? Like, in a professional venue, they would have stripped the belt away. But since it's an amateur venue and they are more worried about revenue, the gym that he's part of has a huge following. Them stripping the belt can mean less revenue for these people in the future. Now, God bless for him about the fight for Shazza Kezil and all that, but I just understand how the game goes. And that's how the belt system works. How it should work is the baddest people fight the baddest people, but some people get special treatment and they're able to take shortcuts. And Luckily, I've never taken a shortcut in regards to martial arts. Like, even though I'm 4-0 as an amateur, like, I'm also 4-0 in Muay Thai and kickboxing. I fought in Germany as well. And then during this hiatus, I refined my jiu-jitsu, and I've won back-to-back gold medals, one in gi, one in no-gi, and I got a silver in no-gi, but that's why I went back and got the gold in (laughs) no-gi later on. Like, I didn't take any shortcuts with this, and I embraced the journey the whole entire time. So... Yeah, so that being said, it's supposed to go that way. And that's yeah. why I feel like I'm a champion already, because I did it the right way. I didn't take no shortcuts. I didn't take no no weak fights. I mean, the last person that I fought, fought um, and would knock people out. Anytime he won, it would be either by TKO, KO, or submission. In other words, he's a killer. Mm-hmm. If he wins, he's trying to kill you. And I still yeah. took that fight for a two-year hiatus and won. Like, and so with that being said, the system might be a little wonky, but at the end of the day, you know, the truth always prevails and the best win. Yeah. So, like, I guess to follow up to that, mm-hmm. we'll say you win because you're going to win Yeah. on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then if, and then you go pro. Mm-hmm. So is this belt, this belt is an amateur belt. Mm-hmm. 
So if yeah. you go pro, then like you vacate the belt and then it just goes to the next like whoever. Uh yes. Um, if I go pro after this, yes, it, um, the belt would pretty much be vacated. But there's still a lot of people at 145 who are like, oh, Manny isn't good. So I might want to defend it once or twice. Who knows, you know? Um, yeah. But, yeah, that's what would happen. But I saw what that did to the division. Mm-hmm. And I saw how it completely slowed down the division. Like, how are you a champion? You're not able to – you're not fighting anybody. And, yeah, yeah. really. So I would never do that to the people behind me because of course. if you are a champion, you are a leader. And when you are a leader, you need to lead by example. So – me having that 145 title, I might defend it once or twice and then be like, hey, you know, I might even give a heads up to the promotion. Hey, after I win this fight, I'm, I'm moving on. You know what I'm saying? To give them the time that they need. And say, oh, well, I don't know. And all this other. No, of course. It was more just like, a, how does it how does it work rather than mm-hmm. what you would do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question on the weight cut stuff because mm-hmm. I have my, my brother-in-law wrestled in college and he was like, the weight cuts are brutal. He was like uh, the whole thing with like the plastic bags or whatever to make you sweat out all the whatever and all these things. But you mentioned that you kind of like, I don't know. Is that like you mentioned that yours were easier? How like how does how does it work for you? Okay, um, so shout out to MMA doc, but like the main way that I do it is through the discipline when it comes to the food. Like I've never necessarily picked a weight class from my like, I guess for my like heightened weight advantage, but from rehydration. Uh, the main way that I do it is from an internal factor of overhydration. So what I do is I take in way more water than I'm supposed to. And then from taking in way more water than I'm supposed to, your body works on overdrive. So instead of you sweating it out, you pee it out. Mm. So so that's like the main thing. And then from there, you guys just think about the food you're putting in your body. Some foods make you retain water. Some foods make you hold water. And some foods actually make you expel water. So once you know what works for your body in regards to expelling water and you fill your body up consistently with water, you trick your body to keep that faucet open. Mm, and then it just, and then it just floods everything out. So like, like that's just been the way. Um, also I do hot yoga. So like me doing the hot yoga, I have a really, really high heat inclination, I guess, or heat tolerance, maybe I should say. Mm-hmm. And from this heat tolerance, if that's not enough, I could easily hop into a sauna and sweat out 10 pounds. Like, I've done it in the past um, and then still competed, but it that's bonkers. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but all that comes with time and uh, you just got to love the challenge. Yeah. Is that how much is like 145 for you? Is that, is that a difficult like way to get down? Cause I think uh, your thing said you're five ten, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm five ten as well. Mm-hmm. And I sit at like 170 and I'm pretty lean. I would say like, Mm-hmm. If I re- if I was going like if the phone rang tomorrow for a soccer trial I could get down to like eight nine body percent or body fat percentage like and I would be at like one sixty seven something like that. Mm-hmm. I looked at your pictures. You're also you're very lean, obviously and in shape mm-hmm. because this is what you do. Mm-hmm. Is like is it a pain in the ass to really get down to that weight or is it natural for you? Like I'm like mm-hmm. I don't remember what the body types are, like mesomorph mm-hmm. or whatever those ones are. I'm like the mm-hmm. one in the middle or like the thicker one. So like mm-hmm. are you just leaner naturally or is it like a real pain in the ass to really get down to that one forty five? Um I'm leaner naturally. Mm-hmm. Um when I spent time in the military I was trying my best to get big. I've never been higher than one seventy. Mm-hmm. Um seeing how I'm mostly muscle, like uh your muscles are mainly water. Yeah. So, you pre- like I'll pretty much turn a steak into like beef jerky for a short period of time because when you cut that weight, you step on the scale at one forty five. It's only 
You're only that way for a couple hours. You're supposed to be. Maybe a couple minutes if, you know, you really are zeroed in. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say it's necessarily a pain. Um, it just depends on how much, I guess, you want it, you know, at the end of the day. Mm, fair enough. Yeah, I think it's, it's very foreign to a lot of people that are not in that world. Like for us um, as soccer players, like we we have target weights, but it's really just how we feel when we're, like when we're at the like when we're playing mm-hmm. rather than like the weight on the scale doesn't really matter as long as we're playing. Well, of, of course, if you're like getting fat, then like that's not good. But <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, like if your body fat is, is down and you're playing well, like the weight that number doesn't really matter. So I think it's foreign for a lot of athletes generally to have like a specific number that they have to hit and like mm-hmm. to really be in tune to say, Oh, let me, I, my weigh in is in two days. I need to drink X number of water, X mm-hmm. amount of water, and then sit in the sauna this time. And then like do this three things to like, make sure that number on the scale is what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Because when in my head, anyways, if I have a big game, like I'm making sure I'm, fueled and ready to go and i might be like a little not like a little bit higher in weight two days before just so i can like basically burn it off as as you know once you get into competition it's like thousands and thousands of calories just within it so that's very interesting to me Mm -hmm. did that um when you started competing was that like new for you or kind of how how much of an adjustment was that from going to like being in the military and you're trying to bulk up to like then the, basically the total opposite of that. Yeah, uh, it was it was definitely a task. Um, when I would see these leaner fighters and just the capabilities that they had, I realized that I needed more mobility for the way that I personally wanted to fight. Um, mm-hmm. Having those muscles and everything like that was cool, uh, you know, at a bigger weight. But it takes more, I guess, cardiovascular effort to be able to move all that stuff around. Um, so with that being said, it was a hard transition at first. Um, however, once I started to see the benefits of it for my art overall, then I realized like, you know what, like it's, it's worth it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. hundred percent. Well, I don't think I have much else. Normally when we do these, they're very like conversational, but I know you got to be locked in. So I think, I think this, we got a good like little section here for, for the, for the fight promo, I guess if you want to plug it, like where it is and like who you're fighting and what's at stake, um, we could go ahead and do that. I don't have the thing up in front of where it's Saturday. Mm-hmm. Was it the, the Salisbury Center in Manassas? What time? Mm-hmm. What time is the? Well, I guess depends on the other. Are you the last fight on the card, or is there a lot of a lot of fights on it, or is it just you guys? Um, I'm on the top three fights. Um, mm-hmm. I have my boy Chris Paris. He's fighting number one. Um, like like the main event, and then mm-hmm. the co-main is um. Uh, somebody from uh, Lloyd Irvin uh, going up against like a really good amateur, uh, somebody, somebody who was really good on the amateur scene. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a good main card, uh, but I'm number three. So, what? So I guess when does the event start? Like what time should, if people want to get tickets and go, mm-hmm. well, I guess also where should they get tickets from? Mm-hmm. So, um, usually uh, you, you get the tickets from a, a site called getwild.com, like G-T-W-I-L-D-E, or you can okay. Google Kadezilla. The thing is, though, is that all the pre-sale tickets are sold out. Ooh, um, so true. Lot, so you'd have to go in person and gotcha and, and <laughs> test your luck. Gotcha. Fair enough. So in the fights, if everything goes well, I guess you don't have to tell me your uh, tactics or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what should people expect if they were to go to one of these sort of um, these amateur fights that are in smaller venues rather than 
like watching a big one on on UFC. Honestly, I think they enjoy it more because it's live. It's live. You're right there. You get to see people's passion put up, put out there. You know, because a lot of these people who are going out there as amateurs, they're just getting started. And when they're just getting started, you can just see a look on their face. They, you can see the people believe in them. Do you see the people who doubt them? You know, you see the emotions at an all time high. It's like between watching college football and like the NFL. Like, NFL might have way better people, but you mm-hmm. see that passion. You know what I mean with the college football. You know, to just want to excel and, and be there. And it's like medieval times, but with real violence. I mean, you go there and eat, you know, watch TV, uh, drink, you know. It's like modern gladiators, and, and it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. Fair enough. All right, guys. Well, we'll put the links to all that in the description. Um, and then good luck to you, sir. I hope you get out unscathed with a nice, with a nice victory there, and then you get yourself a belt. And then hopefully we'll get you back on when you got some more uh, mental headspace and we can have a full-on conversation about a whole bunch of different stuff because I've got loads and loads of questions. But um, I think this is good for the for the little promo that we got going on. Any last uh, no, last nickels? Um, it's going to be a blast, and I'm going to enjoy this, and I cannot wait to talk to you again. Awesome, for sure. All right, guys, we'll see you guys next time. Peace. I right, see you. Peace.